Thank you again to our music ministry team. And it is my pleasure this morning to introduce our guest speaker this morning, Reverend Patrick Harbula, who has been a spiritual leader, counselor, and coach for 30 years, reaches hundreds of thousands with his writing and personal media appearances. Patrick is the author of The Magic of the Soul, Applying Spiritual Power to Daily Living, which is an elective course for science of mind training through the Centers for Spiritual Living. He is the founder of the Living Purpose Institute and creator of the Light Coaching Certification Program and Primal Fire Intensive. Patrick has been ordained by the late Dr. Earl Barnum since 1985. He is also ordained and recognized as a Doctor of Divinity through the Spiritual Unity Movement, of which he was the president for 12 years, trained in spiritual psychology with Vivian King, and founded a meditation magazine. 1985. He was formerly a director for Sage Publications, a world-renowned social science publisher. Patrick will be available after this service to sign his book. And today, speaking on For the Joy of It, please welcome Reverend Patrick Harbula. the band some more love. Are these guys great or what? <sighs> I like to start that way. Guess why? For the joy of it. <laughs> Brings me great joy. So great to be back here. I say this almost every time. Are we like Facebook living this or streaming it or anything? Even if we were, I was going to say it anyway. This is my favorite center to speak. <laughs> Anywhere in the whole world, swear to you. I don't say that to all the sinners. Ah, so great to be back. And right here it says Dr. Patrick's music stand. So it's like mine, you know? It's like I'm your surrogate Patrick, I feel, whenever I come. So I'm going to start with a quote. Lisa, life is not just something to be endured. It is to be lived in joy in a fullness without limit, 
We have a song to sing. We have a joy to bring to the world in love and peace and happiness. Yes? Yes. We know that's true. I want to define joy how I like to define it for the purpose of this talk, my workshops, um, my life. Joy to me is not the opposite of sadness. That's happiness. Happiness is a personal experience, a personal quality. Joy to me is an ever-present spiritual quality, pervasive spiritual quality that can actually be present even in times of sadness or grief or loss. I like to use the example of when my mother was passing several years ago. She had had a stroke and came, came home to be in hospice, and we knew there was just a few days left. And, and so we, we had this incredible opportunity to be with her in these last few days. And there was this connectedness. There was this, uh, you know, whispering in her ear that you're my hero. I love you so much. We got to do that for five days before she made her transition. So that was not a happy time, but it was a joyful time. Synonymous with joy for me is a deep inner peace, a connectivity. And as long as we don't resist life's experiences, we get to experience joy then all the time. It's only when we resist what's happening, when we judge it, think it's a bad thing, that we don't get to experience joy, connectedness, deep inner peace. Does that make sense? Let's go to the next slide, Lisa. So from Esther Hicks, Abraham teachings, if you had one goal and that was to feel good, you would never again need to hear any other word from anyone. You would live successfully and happily in a way fulfilling your life's purpose ever after. I like to say that if we're, what, the secret to everything, I like to make everything simple, because everything, because spirit is simple. Truth is simple, right? So I like to bring everything down to the simplest common denominator. If we can simply live from an inner experience of freedom and joy, everything else comes into alignment. All of the teachings in the Science of Mind book, in every metaphysical self-help book that have ever, has ever been written, comes into play easily and effortlessly when we are simply living from an inner experience of freedom and joy. Does that make sense? Cool. How many here have anything in your life that you're joyful for today? Anyone? Let's let, call it out. I'd like to hear some of the things you're joyful for, about. Family? Great. Love? Was that love? Health? What did you say? My new scooter. Yay. <laughs> Nature. Beautiful. My backyard. So, you know, it's kind of easy to, to be joyful for the things that obviously bring us happiness, right? Um, to create our gratitude list at the end of the day or, you know, whatever practice we do. The more challenging part is to be joyful for the things that might be challenging us. How many people have something that's challenging in your life? I like to call shadow joy, actually. Anyone? Okay. So, you know, how do we, you know, there's a great quote from Esther Hicks, right? If you had one goal, 
was to feel good, to be in joy. But what about when really challenging things happen? Let's skip the next slide and go to uh, the one after that. <laughs> it took a while for some of you. <laughs> I, I worked for a guy once um, when it was uh, probably my second job, and, and I was working in a tennis shop stringing tennis rackets. He was this kind of gruff guy, had a great heart, but he, had, he was a gruff guy from New Jersey, and, and, uh, and he was, God, I'm thinking about all the funny things about him. He would, like, kick people out of his shop all the time if he didn't like the way they were acting. Um, but he came up to me one time, and he said this with a completely straight face, and I, I think he meant it as, as kind of a philosophical lesson he was offering me from his, you know, his eldership, right? And he said... Um, you know, one thing for sure is that no matter how bad things get in life, they can always get worse. <laughs> so there is a spiritual lesson in there somewhere, I think. Um, let's, let's go back then to the previous slide. I don't want to leave this one up there too long for you. And so this is, this is like my favorite quote of the year from Pam Grout from, uh, from E-Cubed. Any Pam Grout fans? E squared and E cube book, great books. She says, once you can say, this is the best thing to happen to me about everything that happens in your life, you'll be aligned with the FP, the field of potential. You align with the FP by loving everyone, by seeing the face of God in everything, by feeling happy, or I would say joyful, by being joyful and grateful for everything no matter what, instead of letting the apparent reality, what's happening in the world of form, dictate your feelings, you line up with the FP, which knows nothing but love, peace, and perfect contentment. So I want to share with you, I, I recently reconnected with my, with my sister who, for most, well, virtually all of her adult life, except for a few very short stints, she's been a, a heroin addict and not in contact with the, with the family. She would never be in contact whenever she was using, which is most of the time. Um, I'd usually only hear from her when she was either in jail or, or forced into rehab instead of jail um, and wanting money. And, um, and so it had been about six years since I'd heard from her uh, she didn't know that her, our mother had passed away. She didn't know her daughter had died, um, which I didn't tell her, by the way. Um, and, and I'd heard from her through her, uh, a counselor at a methadone clinic that she, was that she was going to. And so she'd been off heroin for about a year. I don't think because by choice. I think she couldn't, didn't have a way of getting money to buy it anymore um, or trade or prostitute herself. And so... Um, and so she'd been there for about a year. Her, her counselor called me and said, I th you know, your sister's not doing very well. I think it would be helpful if you talk to her. So I got to talk to her, and we actually got to have lunch. And, um, and I just found out, I haven't talked to her since then. That was back in October. I just found out a couple weeks ago that she is homeless again. She's been homeless kind of off and on. She's sleeping under a bridge in a tent, which um, at one point caught fire because she had candles in it or, or something. So it brought me a lot of sadness. Um, I can, I mean, feel like I'm getting teary now just thinking about it. 
because um, this was my best friend growing up. You know, I didn't think of her as my best friend, as my younger sister. She was, seemed like more of a nuisance at the time. But I wasn't closer to anyone else. And I told this to her in, in, in a letter I, I wrote to her, or got to her through her, her counselor. Um, so a lot of sadness came up for that. And yet, I don't want you to feel sorry for me about that, because... I can see the joy in it. I want to tell you what I said to her in this, I'll paraphrase it in this letter. I said, you know, I want to share with you something that's occurred to me um, over the years, in part because of, of how you've lived your life and how that's affected me. And I've come to the conclusion that everyone on the planet, that the only reason we're really here is to unfold love in some way. And that everyone has a role in unfolding love. And the people like yourself who have chosen really difficult ways to unfold love, um, and let me say more about that, that even hideous acts, even acts of oppression, acts of violence, are calls for love, right? So even the victim of violence, even the oppressor and the perpetrator of violence is playing a role to unfold more love because that's all we're here to do. That is our evolution. And so I said that I have to honor you for your choice, the choice of your soul to unfold love in the way that you have. I have the easy job. I get to go around the country speaking to people, coaching people, doing workshops, meeting the most amazing people. My job is really easy, how I unfold love. The people who have chosen to be abused, the people who have chosen to live the life that my sisters love, uh, has lived, that her soul knew that she had the strength and the courage. I said to her in our lunch, I said, you're a survivor. If I lived your life, I would have been dead a long time ago, right? And what I, uh, you know, what I confirmed to her, affirmed for her in this, in this letter also, was with all that I've said about her, if you met her, you know, you would, I mean, she has a hard time walking now. She's physically challenged and so on. But if you sat down and talked to her, as I did at lunch, you would think, this is a really cool person. She has this great personality. Her counselor said, I, I'm doing everything I can to help her. If I could take her, if I thought it would help, I would take her home to live with me. That's how much I love her, right? And so she has touched people in, throughout her life in ways and unfolded love in her specific ways that I could never do, right? So we're all unfolding love in some way. I told her, I want you to know that I don't judge you. That you've looked up to me, and I see you as a hero as well. And I know that everything that you've gone through in some way is going to lead to your greater ability to serve and to unfold love in more effective, empowering ways, either this lifetime or some other lifetime or somewhere down the road. And so this whole idea that when we give up to resistance, when we see the beauty in the face of God in everything, right? This is the only way to ultimate peace. As long as Byron Katie... Um, you know, she's got a, a book called A Thousand Names for Joy. And she gives so many examples of how everything is joy. And she takes this to an extreme that, 
I can only aspire to. In her latest book, um, A Mind at Peace with Itself, I think is the title, she says, I was there with my daughter, and I kind of um, made the mistake of putting my hand into a blender as I was juicing, and I felt the, the crunch of, of my fingers, and my daughter was like horrified, and she said, but I was at perfect peace, and there was no pain because I was not resisting it. She said, there are times in my life where I have pain and I do resist it, but this time I didn't. The color of the blood was such, so rich and beautiful. <laughs> um, and, and my daughter was horrified because she was thinking, you know, my, my mother's going to be damaged for life now with, with, without any fingers. And she said, there was, you know, a couple of them were mangled and we got out the gauze and, and antiseptic and put it on. But I didn't need, and so she was helping me, but I didn't need to be fixed because there was nothing wrong. There was beauty in everything. The Buddha was in the blood. The Buddha was in the blender. The Buddha was in my fingers. The Buddha, the Buddha was in my, my uh, horrified daughter. It's powerful, isn't it? And so this is, I think, what we are all aspiring to. You know, in New Thought, it used to be um, the main emphasis is what's how to create what you want. And I think what it's evolving to and more and more, and I used to, I go around, I, I lecture about something I call radical gratitude, which is this, looking for the magic in every experience. And when I first started lecturing about this about 20 years ago, I would see a lot of ahas. Wow, that's an amazing new new idea. And now I just see a lot of nodding heads. We're getting this, right? This is the message that we realize is the only way to true peace, is to accept and embrace everything that is. To recognize, you know, we hear in our teaching all the time that everything is for us, but there's still subtle ways in which we, we forget that, you know. And it's not taught this way anymore, but sometimes it manifests this way is that you know, you, something happens that you don't like, you get a diagnosis of an illness, you lose a lot of money in the stock market, something that is really challenging that doesn't feel very good, and then we often say, oh, what was the wrong consciousness that created this, right? What did I do wrong to create this? Um, or even worse than that, when someone says to you, Lisa, what did you do wrong to create that situation? <laughs> Let's give Lisa a big hand for her help up in the booth. And that always makes you feel instantly better, right? When somebody says that. No, of course not. The better question to ask is what is the greater freedom, joy, or love that wants to emerge from this situation? Doesn't that feel better? Because there always is some greater freedom, love, or love that wants to emerge. So the Buddha said it like this, if we could go to the slide after the, uh, yeah, the one we already looked at. When we finally realize that everything is perfect just the way it is, we will tilt our head back and laugh at the sky. Actually, I'm not sure if the Buddha said that because when I, I, I first saw this quote in a, a bookstore in Canmore when I was speaking there years ago, and I went to look it up on the, on the website 
And there was this picture of the Buddha on the website, and the heading was, I didn't say that. <laughs> so it was a list of all the sayings that were attributed to the Buddha that he didn't say. But I like to think he did say this. So really what this, but what the Buddha was all about, the most important lesson he offered to us is non-attachment, right? Non-attachment to outcomes. You know, it is an inside-out game, but we forget that. Even in spiritual mind treatment often, we're thinking, okay, if I heal this illness, then I'll be okay, then I'll be happy, then I'll be whole. If I increase my finances, then I'll be fulfilled, then I'll be happy, then I'll be joyful. But see, that's a trap because that's projecting it out into the future. It's an inside-out game. The real purpose of spiritual mind treatment is to simply get the consciousness. And if I get the consciousness, if I feel whole inside, in one sense, it doesn't even really matter what, the, what is happening in the world of form. If I feel prosperous, in fact, the true test of prosperity consciousness is not feeling prosperous when it looks like I have a lot of money. The true test of prosperity consciousness is when I feel prosperous, when it looks like I don't have any money. Here's a quote from Robert Scheinfeld that uh, is super powerful from Busting Loose from the Money Game, also one of my favorite uh, quotes. All right, check this out. When you attain the consciousness that realize that it's no better to have a million dollars than to owe a million dollars, you will then have the consciousness to create whatever you want with a snap of your fingers. Let's everybody do that. <laughs> you feel the power in that? And you feel the truth in that? It's, it's, uh, it's not really logical, right? And you, you feel that. Because what he's saying is if you're saying that this situation in the world of form is better than that situation in the world of form, we're very subtly saying that the world of form has power over our experience, over how we feel inside, over who we are in that moment. But when we recognize, if I feel abundant, no matter what it looks like in the world of form, then it's the inside-out game. Then the world of form must conform to my inner experience. Make sense? So this is the way. Now, before we go to this next slide, I'll give it. I've never shown this slide with this graphic um, when I was traveling before. When I speak at our center, I do it, and people laugh a lot because it's kind of silly. Um, and so I'm not sure how this is going to go over, but we're going to do it anyway. So let's show the next slide. <laughs> <laughs> the most powerful state of consciousness for manifestation is to be completely clear about what we want, ask for it, even demand it, and at the same time, completely non-attached to when, how, or even it occurs. That's from The Magic of the Soul, my book. Let's go back to the Buddha slide. That's, that's making me nervous. <laughs> so, do it for joy. When we are living from an inner experience of freedom and joy, that we naturally take action. We naturally create situations. We naturally get involved with people who will demonstrate joy, who will bring more joy to us. Make sense? When I choose to do things that bring me the most joy, that is the most powerful way to embody an inexperience of freedom and joy. So, simply said, the 
in one of my workshops and virtually all of my classes, an exercise I offer for people is wake up in the morning and ask what will bring me the most joy to do today and then go and do that. Now that may sound completely impractical, but I promise you it's the most practical thing you can do for your life. And by the way, since joy is a pervasive spiritual quality, it's not, it's not something that, it's not instant gratification, it's not even happiness. It's long-term joy. So the way to, to assess that is, how will I feel a month from now if I take this action? What will bring me the most joy, right? Because I, I have people as a life coach that like, don't like to work out, but they want to have a healthy body. So they don't like going to the gym. I love going to the gym. I love exercising. But some people don't, and that's okay. But so they might think, will it bring me joy to go to the gym today? Maybe not. But how will I feel a month from now if I go to the gym today, and let's say three times a week? Then I'm going to feel fit. I'm going to feel healthy. I'm going to feel great, right? So it's focusing on that long-term joy. I have a, um, a good friend of mine passed away recently. He's a professor at... Uh, Pepperdine University, and he was one of the teachers in my uh, coach certification program, Ed Rocky, Professor Ed Rocky. And um, we had a master of mind group for a while. We still have the group, but he's no longer in it, obviously. Well, at least uh, not physically. And when we first formed, and we were all just checking in about what we're doing, and I was talking about, I'm living from joy, like every single day. That's, that's my mantra. What, that's what I do. And so the next month, we came back and met again, and and, uh, and we were checking in. He said, I've been doing what Patrick do, is doing. And this is a guy, he was in his 90s, and he lived a full life, and, and he taught creativity at the university level. And he was just this really fun, amazing guy. And yet, even he benefited from practicing this exercise of waking up in the morning and asking what will bring me joy, and then going and doing that. He said, life has gotten so much better. You know, we, we, we tend to think, and actually as human beings, we naturally do what brings us the most joy, or more joy than the alternative, but we forget about the joy for which we are doing these things. We think, I have to go to this job I don't like, or I have to raise these teenage kids. Anyone have teenage kids? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? But there's obviously some joy in it, or we wouldn't be doing it. But so when we continuously, consistently ask, what will bring me the most joy? Then we realign with the joy that, for which we are doing things. And I tell you, then life gets filled with joy all the time. You know, people, uh, I had someone, I was talking about this in a class, and I had someone who came up to me and said, you know what? A lot of people probably don't believe you when you say you're living in joy, like 90 8% of the time, he says, she said, I've been in a lot of your classes and I know it's true. Even things that I used to not like bring me joy now. Doing my taxes brings me joy. I used to, because I hated it, I would wait until the last minute and do my taxes. Now, I, because I'm doing what brings me joy, I naturally create spaciousness in my life. I start three weeks behind, uh, ahead of time now to do my taxes. My, I invited my wife to help me. She's my business partner. And so it all it just goes smoothly and easily and effortlessly. So I'm in joy as I'm doing my taxes. Make sense? So I'll tell you about the workshop we're doing and then um, tell you a couple more quick stories. 
So the workshop today is a brand new workshop. I've done it once before, a little beta test I did in Lan Lancaster, uh, California, a couple, uh, about a month ago. And uh, so it's called Manifesting the Dream. And it is the most fun, most enlightening, uh, most joyous workshop I've ever done. So um, everyone that attends will create a vision and we'll do um, some really empowering exercises about how to keep our energy up and vibrant and positive even in moments of greatest challenge. And then finally, there's a few other things we do, but at the end we do this really fun exercise that helps to really ground our vision for us with two other people. And it just, people just walk out so, of the workshop, so um, empowered as a result of this. So really my, my wish would be that every single person here could attend because we're just gonna be floating on air by the end of it. That's probably not possible, but if you don't have plans, Please join us. We're going to have a great time. If you do have plans, change them. <laughs> if you absolutely can't change them, sign up on my mailing list, and next time I'm around, I'll let you know. Also doing uh, the meditation workshop on Wednesday night, 7 to 9, um, right here. So that, or maybe downstairs. We did it downstairs last year, so we'll see. So um, I want to tell you a joke that re relates to this subject. So um, if you... We're in my workshop last year, you might have heard this joke, but it's worth repeating, it really fits. So there's these three guys out for uh, a game of golf. And the first guy steps up to the tee, and uh, this guy's been really practicing for a while now, really focused on his game, and you've probably heard of him, his name is Moses. So Moses steps up to the tee, and he's really concentrating. He's taken a very, very carefully planned practice strokes. Finally, he lets it go, the ball is sailing out there, it's headed for the green, but it actually lands before the trap, this lake. And so it's rolling for the lake. So Moses just steps out, raises up his club. The waters part. The ball rolls straight through onto the green about 20 feet from the cup. Next guy steps up. He's also very serious about his golf game. He's really studying the whole, you know, the whole scene, the, the course. And he comes up and he's practicing. Probably heard of this guy too. His name is Jesus. So Jesus is very carefully, very methodically taking these strokes. He finally lets it go. It's flying out there farther than Moses' ball, but it's going to land right in that same lake. So he calmly walks up, raises his hand. The waters, no, I'm sorry, raises his hand. Then he walks um, casually out onto the water, and, uh, and the ball just stops and hovers about six inches from the surface. Taps the ball onto the green, about 10 feet from the cup. Third guy comes up, and this guy's the opposite of the first two. He's like laughing and joking. He's not taking it seriously at all. He's just having fun. And he walks up, and he just takes this, doesn't even look down at the tee. He just takes this one-handed swipe at the ball, and he hooks it way off to the right, and it bounces off the roof of this caddy shack, and it lands on the freeway, and it's bouncing in between cars, ricocheting off of trucks, finally bounces off this big semi, bounces back over the fence onto the roof of the caddy shack, rolls down to the drain gutter, uh, down the drain gutter to the drain pipe, down the drain pipe, onto the fairway. It's rolling down the fairway, headed for that same lake. It hits a rock and bounces, lands on a lily pad. A frog comes up and grabs the ball in its mouth. An eagle swoops down, snatches up the frog. The frog 
screams out of fright, and the ball drops out of its mouth straight down into the cup. Moses turns to Jesus and says, damn, I hate playing with your dad. So whenever we show up with the most joy, we get the best result. Doesn't matter what field we are in in life, what kind of work we do, what kind of occupation, what kind of service, the person who shows up with the most joy, assuming they're good at their job and capable, always gets the best results. Makes sense? If you work for someone else, whoever shows up with the most joy is going to get the promotion. If you're a salesperson, we're all in sales in one way or another. Whoever shows up with the most joy gets the most sales because people like to buy stuff when they feel good, and they feel good when they're around people who are living from joy, right? So, see, let's do the last slide. Also from Robert Scheinfeld, and I'm going to paraphrase this a little bit, who says, and this is true, when we're living from our joy, this is true about us. It is our potential that who we really are, who you really are, as an infinite, magnificent being, capable of creating anything that you want with a snap of your fingers. Any concept you've ever heard about power is, is just a speck compared to how powerful you really are. If you took all the power in the world, all of the man-made technology, the internet, the mis nuclear missiles, um, everything electrical, the robots, everything, and gathered that together with the power of Mother Earth herself, the hurricanes, the volcanoes, the earthquakes. If you magnified all that power a billion times, that would still be a speck compared to the power that each one of you, each one of us has sitting in these seats today. That's how powerful we are. That's how powerful our joy is. That's how powerful our love is. Now, that doesn't make any sense logically, and yet I see heads nodding. We intuitively know something is true when we hear the truth, right? So I'm going to finish with a short story, again, about seeing the joy in everything. My teacher, Vivian King, who was mentioned in my introduction, thank you for that, Elizabeth. I found out at a New Year's Eve party, after I'd gone through four years uh, training with her in spiritual psychology, psychosynthesis. I heard from a, someone else in a class that she had been hit by a drunk driver and driving through Texas. And um, this was several years after I'd graduated her program. And they, she said, they're, they're just now moving her to, to Long Beach. And so I went and visited her that next uh, weekend. And she, was, um, she had been in a coma for six weeks. Her head originally, after the accident, uh, was hit by, was the size of a basketball, and that was no longer the case, but her face was very contorted. She could read only by, because she had stem cell uh, uh, damage, so she became a pair, uh, quadriplegic, could no longer speak. The only way she could communicate was they put a laser pen on her glasses and had a, a you know, a, a graphic of a keyboard, and she would point to leather, uh, letters with her head. And so they were deciding where she would go next for her rehabilitation. And it was either going to be Orange County in California or San Fernando Valley, which is where I live. So I said, well, if she comes to the, to the valley, then I can like, visit her and help her. And she had friends in Orange County, too. So and they didn't know where I lived. But what ended up happening is a week later, she ended up moving to a facility two blocks from my house. 
So obviously there was a synchronicity there. And I got to visit her, help with her physical therapy, do spiritual mind treatment, energy healing. It sounds like I'm doing a lot for her, but really it was I who was receiving the gift. She was a saint of a woman. All of her health care assistants were, were just inspired by her. And she said to me, um, well, I'll tell you one quick story to, to, to give you a sense of, of how this, the joy played out in her. She would be eating, and she had a mechanical arm that would bring her food up to her mouth. And she'd be getting food all over her face. It would be dropping onto her apron. And as I'm describing this, you might think that would be difficult. She might have been uncomfortable with that. I'd be uncomfortable with that. She'd be smiling, if not laughing, the whole time. She saw the cosmic joke of it. She taught us in psychosynthesis that we are more than our bodies and our feelings and our, and our thoughts. And she was living that. She was demonstrating it. And she said to me, about a year before she passed away, she said, I'm a teacher who can no longer speak. I'm a writer who can no longer write. But as long as I have a physical body, I can remain a presence of peace and love and joy in this world. I have nothing more to say. I love you. Thank you.